I flew to Peru, I actually went all the way down to Belize for like six hours to pick up one of my best friends that I grew up with, um, and her name is Alyssa. <laughs> so yeah, I was there in Belize for just about six hours picking her up, and then after that six hours, we flew all the way to Peru. And from Peru, well actually, I like to time my flights, so from Washington to Belize to Peru, it was about 32 hours flight, and I was so tired. I, <laughs> I did not talk to anyone for like a few days. <laughs> and so after that, we landed in Peru, and we were there for like three days, just waiting for the rest of the people to show up. And so they're just showing up one by one, and um, we finally meet them. It was just fun. We all just kind of clicked, even though how different we all were. And so after Lima, in those three days, we, uh, we traveled all the way to Huacho. It was about a two-hour drive. And so we, did, we stayed there for about 13 days. We did outreaches. Um, we also did a surf camp with the youth group down there. And then from there, we just traveled to Cajabamba, or sorry, Cajamarca. And that's where we got all our VBS stuff going for Cajabamba, Trujillo, and Huacho. And that's, it was really crazy. And so the <laughs> bus ride was probably 16 hours all the way to Cajamarca. And <laughs> the beds are not that good. It, the chairs turn into a bed, but they're not that good, though. <laughs> and so as we are getting ready, we, we just all just clicked in. By the second week, all of us were just like one big family. We were teasing each other, making names and all that. And so it was just really fun. And one of the cool things that the Lord showed me was just how much I love kids down there. I remember the first day we went to a school, and um, I just got tackled with a whole, by a whole bunch of kids, and they just gave me a big hug. And I, I, I just couldn't get up because they were all just tackling me. And then... I couldn't understand Spanish, but I knew that they wanted to play football with me. They kept on saying football, football, football. And so I finally played football with them, and they kept calling me names and saying gringo and all that. <laughs> and I was like, yep, I'm the gringo. <laughs> and so, yeah, after that, uh, we traveled to different places and to other schools and did VBS with them. And it was just so much fun. And then... By July 30th, me and Alyssa flew all the way back to Belize and met up with the team there. And so it was just really cool seeing that. And for me, when I go to Belize, it's more to see my family down there. And when the team came, I just was just so blessed to see what they're doing at the church. And it was really cool. And last thing I want to say is just, Thank you for all your support and just for the prayers that you've given us, too. Thank you. Good morning, church. Um, so my name is Heather, and my daughter, Bronte, sitting right over there, um, we were both blessed to be part of the Belize mission trip. 
And um, going into this uh, mission trip, it personally meant a lot to me. Um, our initial goal was to build a house for a single mom. And being a single mom myself, it just meant the world to me to be able to go and help another single mom in a less fortunate situation. Um, but upon arriving Belize, we found out that the land didn't go through for the house. And um, it was kind of a huge letdown. But we all prayed about it. And uh, we knew that God would have a different plan for us. Um, and he sure did. Um, we ended up doing a lot of uh, projects, updating the local Calvary Church. And uh, my favorite part was uh, working with the kids and uh, updating the Sunday school for them um, to not just like have a functional building for them to come to church, but um, to have like a beautiful, bright, and happy place to come and learn more about Jesus. Um, um, at the end of our trip, um, we, well, actually, we, we extended our stay in Belize, um, and we were able to attend church for the, the second Sunday. Um, and during that service, um, one of the, the ladies, she was epileptic, and she fell down and had a seizure. Um, she ended up being okay, but um, later on, towards the end of the trip, uh, we were, Joel was making a lot of runs, and um, we, um, one of the runs we, uh, dropped a bag of groceries at her house and um, when we got inside her home it was just like a very my heart just sunk it was just um, I just had never seen like such such a the, her, the living conditions of her home was just unbelievable and uh, it just broke my heart um, and we had done some outreach work around the community earlier in the week and I knew that you know there were a lot of rundown homes, but I never really got to go inside um, and see it up close and personal. So um, she came out with a big smile on her face, and she was just so thankful. And it was just a humbling experience to see just how much um, love she had for the Lord. And uh, um, at the end of the trip, um, we got some really good news. Um, so we ended up being able to help another single mom's family. Um, there, her daughter had the op, um, got her hands on some land, and we were able to give a financial contribution to secure the land for her and her family to be able to build uh, their future home. So that was um, just a huge blessing. Um, and a Bible verse that comes uh, to mind with my whole experience is uh, Proverbs 3.5. Um, Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Um, Going in this trip, like, we prepared for several weeks and um, kind of had our hearts set that we were going to build the house for the single mom, but God had a different plan for us, and it was just an amazing outcome, and we were just so blessed, blessed by it, and I'm just so thankful and humbled for the experience, and I appreciate everyone's support and prayers. Um, we were truly blessed. Thank you. I'm Dawn, and my husband, Mike, we were the only couple that was on the trip, so we had a little different experience. Um, Mike is an electrician, and because we weren't able to build the house, there was a house that was previously built um, for a mother and her three kids, four kids, 
and they didn't have electricity. So uh, Mike and I and Mark, we went um, with a girl, Shalini. She's 12 years old and one of the members of the household. And we went to their house to install the electric for them. And what they had set up, they had a TV and they had a fan in their house. Um, they had a small stove and no refrigerator, no running water. Um, all the water they had that they had to bring in themselves and they had one wire that was running from their property to the neighbors. It's kind of like an extension cord. And so um, Mike was able to, all of us together, um, even with uh, Shalini, she was able to help put in a panel and breakers and things like that. And in the house, the mother um, didn't have a light in her bedroom she let the kids have the light in their bedroom. There was only two bedrooms. And she would use her um, flashlight on her phone to get ready in the morning. So um, when she came home and saw that she had a light in her bedroom, she was so thankful. And the other thing that's, that affected me was that how um, simply they lived um, without any running water and not much electricity, not much in space for so many people, but they were just always so thankful and, and didn't seem to complain. And I didn't see any of that with any of the people that lived there. And I just realized that we have so much and so much we don't even need that um, it, it's making me rethink um, what we truly need. And um, the other thing was that Mike had never traveled outside of the United States. So for him, this was a huge, huge deal. <laughs> um, it was really hot and we sweat a lot, thought we would lose a couple pounds, but the food was so good that um, I think <laughs> it evened out. <laughs> um, so it was, it, it was a great experience to have and um, experiences and memories are so much more important than things. Um, things can be replaced, but memories can't. So um, I would encourage anyone else who's thinking about it that um, they should go on a trip as well. Thank you. It was um, unseasonably hot. So I had to work really hard to counterbalance it like she was talking about. I was successful. I did a, I did a fair job of it. But um, yeah, so as they shared, um, we got down there and initially we had planned on building a house and it fell through the lady who we were going to build a house for. Um, apparently, her neighbor is sort of a local gang leader there, and he wanted the land, so he kind of forbade her from, from building on the property, which is unfortunate. But, you know, the Lord really had a different plan. And, you know, we got to minister around the church quite a bit. We got to build a lot of relationships. And... Um, and we were able, like I said, able to connect with, with Chester, the young man who, who caught the armadillo. And I'm, I'm hoping, actually, to be able to bring him up and a couple other kids next summer and um, kind of do a little internship with them. But I really see the, the, the Lord's hand on some of their lives. And so just the way that the Lord kind of rerouted us was really a blessing. You know, being able, like, um, like Don said, to, to be able to wire Miss Juana's house was such a blessing for her. We got to do some other stuff for some other people. The same lady who we weren't able to build her house, we were able, able to secure some land for her. So, uh, so you know, we, we make plans. 
we think we know what we're going to do, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes God has a different plan. But as long as we're willing to, to walk in, in the path that he laid before us, it always works out. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you'll speak to us, that you'll, you'll meet us where we are, Lord. Father, we, we're desperate for your touch. We're desperate for you to speak truth into our lives. And we ask that you do that this morning. Amen. John 12 is one of those chapters that there's so much in there that I think we could spend months and months and months picking it apart. And that's not a, a bad thing by any means. But I would like to finish John's gospel eventually. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to pick it apart as in-depth as we could. But this is one of those chapters that I really encourage you guys who are students of the word to go back and to dig a little bit deeper into it and see what gems the Lord would reveal to you there. We're going to pick up the text this morning again in chapter, or in verse 27. And we're going to go all the way to verse 36. And it says this. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And he says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So Jesus here, he starts out this passage telling the disciples, My soul is is troubled. And that word, that phrase, is the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 5. There in the pool of Bethesda. Remember when the angel came to, to stir the water up. That word terrasso, it means to stir, to trouble, or, or, or to agitate. Strong's Concordance says it means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. And so Jesus here, he says, my soul is, is agitated. My soul is, is filled with dread at the thought of going to the cross. He was stirred up. And I was thinking about that. Jesus being, being filled with dread at the thought of the cross. Jesus being troubled with the thought of going to the cross. What, why? What, what was it? Was it? Was it the pain? Was Jesus afraid of, of being whipped with that Roman flagellum? Was, he, was it his flesh being torn away? Probably a little bit. Was he afraid of that, that crown of thorns being driven into his scalp? Was it his beard being pulled out that filled him with dread? Probably a little, but I don't think that was the primary reason. Was he afraid of those nine-inch spikes that were going to be driven through his hands and feet? being left on the cross to suffocate to death as he tried to lift himself up to gasp for air? That might have played into it. But remember who we're talking about here. This is God the Son, the one who eternally existed in perfect fellowship with his Father. And for the first time in creation, for the first time in all of eternity, he was going to be separated from God the Father. And in an instant, he who knew no sin would become sin. The sin of all creation would be laid on his shoulders. 
And I believe that that was the primary reason why his soul was troubled. I believe that was the primary reason that, that he was filled with dread, that he was distressed, that fellowship being broken. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it gives us a, a cool insight here. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says that Jesus endured the cross. He endured the shame. He endured that, that, that the separation, the pain, for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? What was the thing that sent him to the cross? It was us, right? It was you. It was I. It was our salvation. That was the joy that allowed him to endure the cross. The second thing I want to note is this, that Jesus was distressed, that he was upset. Life was difficult for the Lord sometimes, and he was okay with it. He was okay with expressing a, a, a full range of emotions. Sometimes we get this idea, I think, especially younger believers, that, you know, now that we know the Lord, that life should be all smooth sailing from here on out. And maybe, maybe you're going through a little rough patch right now, but that's going to get better soon. And then it's just going to be smooth sailing from here on out doesn't happen like that, does it? it you, 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 know, you, might, you might hit a patch in your life where everything is smooth and there's no issues, and it lasts for about three minutes. But here's the deal, right? Sometimes in life, things are going good, and other things aren't going good. Right? Sometimes in life, your wife loves you and your boss hates you. Other times, your boss loves you and your wife hates you. Once in a while, your boss and your wife both love you. And you find out you've got a heart condition and your son gets arrested for stealing cars. You know what? Not, not, just to be clear, my son, but that's not me, Elias didn't get arrested for stealing cars. But life is sort of a mixed bag, isn't it? It's always filled with, with good and bad. Here's the trick, I think. We need to learn to rejoice in the things that are good. We need to learn to take joy in our blessings and learn to rest in the Lord and to take our troubles to Him when things are going badly, when our souls are troubled. The second thing we see here is Jesus' purpose for coming. And I want to touch on this just briefly. Remember, at this point, we're just days away from the cross. And I think that it's, it's heavy on Jesus' heart and on his mind. And he's stressed about it. He's concerned. He's wondering how, what it's going to be like, what's going to happen. But remember, the cross was always the plan. Right? That's why Jesus came. The cross wasn't sort of plan B. The cross wasn't sort of some unfortunate event that the Lord decided to try and take and make something good out of it. The cross was always the plan. From before the foundations of the earth, 
Jesus was always the Lamb of God who came to take away our sins. And so Jesus says this in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus says, look, I'm distressed. I'm in anguish. My soul is troubled. Nevertheless, glorify your name, Father. Use these circumstances to bring glory to yourself. And that's the trick, isn't it? That's the key. Giving God the glory in the midst of hard times. Realizing that in the midst of of, of whatever it is that you're going through, that God is still in control, that God is still sovereign. And I think of Job in the opening chapters. Remember, he loses all of his flocks. He was a wealthy man. He loses all of his possessions, all of his financial security. Shortly after that, a hurricane blows through, and it blows his house down, and his kids are killed. Shortly after that, we find him sitting around a campfire and he's been afflicted with boils all over his body and he's got a piece of a broken pot and he's sitting around the campfire scratching himself and his friends are telling him, why don't you just curse God? Or his wife was telling him, why don't you just curse God and die? Man. Remember what he says? He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an amazing statement, isn't that? And Jesus here, knowing full well the suffering that he was about to endure, he says, Father, glorify your name. He says, Lord, this, this, this thing is about to unfold. And he says, I pray that you would be honored and, and you would be glorified through my obedience in these circumstances that you would be honored and glorified by my behavior and by my witness and, and how I handle what's about to happen. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The Father responds to Jesus audibly from heaven. And he says, okay, I'll answer your prayers. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. The people's response here is interesting to me as well. Some of the people said, ooh, there must be a storm coming. I hear thunder out there in the horizon. Other people said, ooh, did you hear that? There's an angel speaking to him. It's interesting to me how the Lord can speak, and there's so many different interpretations and ideas as to what's going on there. I think by implication we can deduce that, that some people heard the Father clearly. They heard what the Father said to Jesus. Some people heard the voice of an angel, and some people just heard noise. I believe that the Lord is always speaking to us. He's always speaking to us through His Word, through His Spirit, through His creation, through life circumstances. And a lot of times... We're just not paying attention. A lot of times, the Lord is speaking, and we just we simply don't have ears to hear. And we miss the things that he's trying to tell us. Jesus answered in verse 30. 
the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus says, look, when the Father spoke just now, it wasn't for me. It was for you, so that you could hear and believe. And I was thinking about this verse and the implications that it has for us. And even now, even this morning, as I'm up here talking, you know, I'm up here and I'm sharing the scriptures, and maybe I'll tell a joke or two, but I'll tell you this. It's the Lord speaking through the power of his word to each one of you, to each one of us. He has something to speak into our hearts and our spirits this morning. Whether my jokes are funny or not, whether I haven't, they are, by the way. Um, <laughs> whether or not I have good sermon illustrations, whether or not the service is going smoothly and offering took place when it was supposed to, whether the screen was offset a little bit or the ant, whatever the case may be. Those aren't the things that matter. Are you receiving what the Lord is speaking to you through his word? Are we listening to what he's telling us? As we move into verse 31, Jesus begins to, to shift gears a little bit here, and he starts talking about judgment. And he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He says, Now the ruler of this world will be cast out doesn't seem like that, does it? It doesn't seem like Satan, the ruler of this world, has been cast out at all, does it? And when you look around, you watch the news, you see the things that are going on around the world, and it seems like he still has a pretty good grip on things, doesn't he? How is that? What does Jesus mean here? I think there's two ways that we can look at that. First, if you're an eternal being, now has a little different meaning, right? Those of us who just got back from Belize will, will, will uh, connect with this. There's a Creole expression that we were joking about the whole time down there. In Creole, they say right now. And right now in English, it means right now, right? It means this instant. But in Creole, right now means in a few minutes, when I get around to it, in a little while. And I think that's kind of the idea there. You know, we, as temporal beings, we think of now as immediately, in three seconds. Where when God says it's going to happen now, I think he's got a little bit bigger picture of what now means. And second, I think that judgment was passed when Jesus went to the cross. The world system was judged at the cross. But there's a delay between the judgment and the carrying out of the sentence. It's sort of a, sort of a, a lame duck sort of thing. Right? You know, you have the president, and then there's an election in November. And then from November until, when is it, January, the second Tuesday in January? When is that? Whatever inauguration day is. Right? There's that period when he's still there and he's still in control, but he doesn't really have a lot of authority. He doesn't have a lot of power. And, and that's sort of how, how Satan is right now. Right? He's still 
in authority of this world to a degree, but that authority has an expiration date. Right? That, that battle was won at the cross. And Paul talks about that a little bit in Ephesians chapter 2 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He talks about how the enemy, he's, he's temporarily in charge. They, he sort of has a, has a lease on the planet. But his time is just about over. And before long, he'll be cast out. And if that was true, that it was almost here 2,000 years ago, how close are we today? 2,000 years closer. That's how, that's how close we are. And soon, our enemy will bound up, be bound up and cast into hell for all eternity. And Jesus says in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I imagine that as Jesus was nailed to that cross, and that cross was raised up and dropped into that hole, and as he hung there at Golgotha, the place of the skull, with his body broken and bloody, people gathered around mocking him, Satan must have had a huge smile on his face. He must have thought that he had just won the battle. But Jesus here says this, when I am lifted up, when I'm crucified, when I'm there hanging on that Roman cross, he says, I will be like a beacon, drawing all men unto myself. Listen, understand this. When Satan inspired those men to have Jesus crucified, he was carrying out God's perfect sovereign plan, drawing all men to the Father. And I want to look at this phrase that Jesus uses here. When I am lifted up. That phrase lifted up. It's one word in the Greek. It's hupso. And this is the only time that this word is used in the New Testament. And it's an interesting word. Because it can mean lifted up. Just like you lift something up into the air. Right? My, my little girl, she's always saying, Daddy, throw me into the air. She doesn't know that I'm old and she's heavy. And she's all, throw me up into the air. Lift me up. But that's what that word means. But it also means to exalt, to raise with dignity. And so Jesus here, when he says, when I am lifted up, I think he very purposely chose a word that has two meanings. And both are true here, aren't they? Right? He would be physically lifted up on the cross. But he would also be exalted by the Father, wouldn't he? And Jesus says, when that happens, I am going to draw all people to myself. Now Jesus here isn't saying that everyone is going to be saved. He wasn't preaching some sort of a, a universalist message that eventually everybody's going to be saved. What he is saying is that everyone has the opportunity to be saved. 
He's saying that he's working in the lives of each and every individual, drawing them to himself. He's not willing, as Peter says, that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. He's calling each one of us. And we have a choice whether or not we respond to that call. But we've talked about this before. Free will versus the sovereignty of God. Do we choose God or does God choose us? And yes, God has chosen us. He's elected us. He's predestined us. And also, we respond to that call in free will. So both are true. And I think it was Spurgeon had a door on the outside of his church. And it says, whosoever will may enter. And you walk through the doors. On the other side of the door, there's a sign that says, predestined before the foundations of the earth. So in some way that, that eludes me, both election and free will are true. How do I know that? Because the Bible teaches both. You know, when we're in Romans, we'll be a lot more about predestination and election. When we're in Hebrews and some of these other books, it'll be a lot more about free will and, and our choice. And, and both of them somehow play together. And if you disagree with me, don't argue with me after church. Just email me so I can <laughs> delete it. Verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Again, note this, church. He already knew what was about to happen. It didn't catch him by surprise. I mean, there were elements that he was nervous about, as we talked about. He was troubled about that separation. But the whole overall picture, he knew what was coming. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Remember the people here were excited about Jesus at this point. They're excited about the coming of the Messiah. And John doesn't mention it here. But if you look at the other Gospels, chronologically, the triumphal entry has just happened. Right? Jesus has just come walking into Jerusalem on the back of, or riding into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. And remember, people are, are laying down their clothes and they're waving palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord save us. They are hailing Jesus as the Messiah. And so here Jesus tells the people this. He tells them that he's about to die. And the people are like, what? We've studied. We, we, we know the Old Testament. It wasn't the Old Testament. Then it was just the Testament, I guess, because there was only one. Right? It was the Torah. We, we know the Torah. We, we've studied. We've heard our rabbis teach on this. We, we know that the Messiah will live forever. But you're saying that the Messiah is going to be crucified. How can you die if you're the Messiah? Right? And it makes sense, right? The Messiah is going to live forever, and you say you're going to die in a couple of days. How can you be the Messiah? What do, you, what do you mean by this? How can you be getting ready to go to the cross? It doesn't make sense. And so they start to question Jesus at this point. 
Who is the Son of Man? And you could almost feel the crowd starting to turn on Jesus at this point. And, and you wonder how they went in one week from Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify, crucify. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Well, Jesus during that week was making these bold statements. The statements that the people didn't get and they were upset by it. See, here's the thing. There was this great expectation for the Messiah. But people misunderstood the nature of the Messiah's mission. Right? We've talked about this before. The people were expecting this, this reincarnation, not a literal reincarnation, but sort of a reiteration of, of King David. They're looking for this, for this warrior Messiah. They're looking for a, a victorious king who is going to lead Israel in battle and overthrow the Roman occupiers. They're looking for a Messiah who is going to make Jerusalem the capital of the world. And they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong in their, those expectations for the Messiah. They just didn't have the timeline figured out. They didn't realize that the Messiah was coming twice. They didn't understand Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. They didn't understand that the first time the Messiah came, he was going to come as a, as a suffering Messiah who was going to bleed and die to pay for our sins. And that the second time he comes, that he's going to be that victorious king. And we see that in the opening chapters of Revelation. It describes that King David type of Messiah who comes riding in on a white horse, not on a donkey comes with, with swords coming out of his mouth and his hair blazing and his voice booming. They're expecting Jesus to come like that the first time. And they were disappointed when, when that didn't pan out. They didn't understand. So Jesus said to them, verse 35, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Let darkness overtake you, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Jesus says, guys, listen, slow down. I'm here for just a little while longer. I'm only here for a few more days. Walk with me while I'm here. Walk in the light. Walk in my presence so the darkness doesn't overtake you. When you walk in the dark, you can get lost. Right? When you walk in the dark, that's when you can get into trouble. I remember in the winter of 94, 95, I was in Siberia. I was in this area in northeast Siberia called Yakutsk. And if you guys have never been in Siberia or maybe Fairbanks or, or extreme north or maybe extreme south, you might not know this, but at about minus 40, it got to almost, it got minus 74 while I was there, which was, cre you, could, you could spit and it'd be frozen before it hit the ground. But about minus 40, all the moisture in the air freezes. 
and it makes this ice fog. And sometimes you can, it's just kind of cloudy and hazy, but sometimes it's so dense and so thick that you can't even see. It's the thickest, soupiest fog you can imagine. And, and you can't see anything. And I think I was talking to some of you guys about this a while back. But I remember this one time, and also because it's so far north in winter, it's not light very much. At about 10, 10.30, the sun would crest over the horizon. At about 1.30, 2 o'clock, it's dark again. So there wasn't a lot of light. So you're out there sometimes at nighttime, at 9 a.m., right? It's dark, and there's this ice fog, and you can't see anything. And I had a couple of incidences in that, in that fog. One time it was, it was afternoon, it was already dark, and I was crossing the street, and this fog was really thick. And so I hear this bus coming, and I can kind of see the lights penetrating. And then I hear the bus, and it's kind of going, it's going really slow because it can't see anything either. And it passes, and so I step out to cross the street, and I literally walk into the side of a bus that was moving. Luckily, it wasn't moving fast, but it was so dark and thick, and you just couldn't see. Another time, I was riding the same bus. I don't know if it's the exact same bus. But I was riding the bus, and because it was so thick, you couldn't see anything. And so you had to count the stops. I knew from where I got on, I had four stops, and then I had to get off the bus. Well, I don't know what happened if I miscounted the stops, or if he just didn't stop somewhere. Somehow, I got off at an area I didn't know. And it's like minus 50, an ice fog, and you can't see anything. And I was was scared. I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy when it's that cold out. And luckily, you know, the, the fog lifted for just a little while, and I was able to kind of spot some landmarks that I recognized, and I knew what general direction to start walking in. But the point is this. With no light, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to misstep. It's easy to take a wrong turn. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, guys, walk in the light. Walk with me while I'm still here. And then he asked them this. He says, will you believe? Will you believe in me? Will you believe in this light? And we're not going to go beyond this verse today, really. Except I want to touch on the next line of the following verse. It says after that, then he departed and hid himself from them. So Jesus talks about this, being the light, asks them if they will believe, asks them if they will follow him, and then right after that, he hides. He goes away when they refuse to believe. And there seems to be a biblical principle that a person can get to a point where they can no longer receive Christ. That the gospel becomes hidden from them. It seems that once a person rejects the Holy Spirit for so long, when they continue to harden their heart against the Lord for so long, the Lord finally, he seals them in that decision. He gives them over to the hardness of their heart, right? Paul talks about that in the second half of Romans chapter 1. He talks about giving people over to their uncleanness. 
And we know the example of Pharaoh, right, in Exodus. Remember, Moses was trying to secure the freedom for the, for the Hebrew people. And it says every time that Moses would go to Pharaoh, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. But after a while, the narrative switches a little bit, and it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I don't think the Lord forced Pharaoh to reject him. What the Lord did is he said, all right, Pharaoh, you continue and continued and continue to rebel against me, fine. Have it your own way. That's a scary spot to be in. But listen, if you're here this morning and you're saying, oh, I hope that's not me, it's not. If you're worried about it, it's not you. So there's good news, there's hope. But don't continue in that. Don't continue to harden your heart against the Lord. Don't get to that point. Jesus says, walk with me. Believe in me. And this morning, I would just like to encourage you in that. To believe in Jesus, to walk with him. He says that he was lifted up to draw all men unto himself. And if this morning you feel like, like he's drawing you unto himself, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God in your life. And I encourage you not to push that away, not to reject that, but to receive what it is that the Lord has for you. It's my prayer that you would receive and respond to what the Lord is doing. And again, maybe you're wondering if you're the elect, we talked about predestination. Maybe you're wondering if, if you're one of the ones that the Lord chose. Well, guess what? You get to decide. Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news, isn't it? Believe, Paul says. Call on his name. Repent of your sins and you shall be saved. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for you and the good things that you've done, Lord. We're so thankful for, for your work on the cross. We're grateful that you were lifted up in the physical sense, Lord. And we're grateful that we have the opportunity to to lift you up and to exalt you and to glorify you, Lord. And as we continue in worship this morning, and as we continue to just to share in communion, I pray that you would just help us to fully realize all that you've done for us, Lord. Just draw us into your presence. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.